How does it feel being the highlight of what happened at the Smith Center last night? Because it was a great scene seeing all the students wearing shirts in honor of your dad right. and the the naming of the media center adjacent to the Smith Center being dedicated to your dad, mm-hmm. your mom being there at center court, your wife, your brother, who's the voice of Elon. Right. What was the most special part about last night for oh, you personally? Easily my mom. Um, because, you know, this this is as much about her as it is my dad. Because my dad would be the first to tell you that his success, whatever it was, doing whatever it was, would not be possible without the support of my mom. And so, you know, for my mom to be able to be there and, you know, she doesn't get around to many games anymore because of her mobility alone, but she still watches a lot of games and bless her heart. She watches Packer and Durham a lot. Um, she, uh, she has, uh, you know, when I, I was fortunate because they told me two weeks before they told her and when they told me I was stunned and they wanted me to be in the room when they told her. And she was just overwhelmed. And we still feel that way. I mean, it's just, you know, Josh, for, for somebody like my dad to have, I mean, look, they're, they're all, you don't have any expectations. When you do a job, you hope you did a good job and you hope you left it better than you found it, right? I mean, that's really the core of the deal. And that's the way my dad retired. He just won, you know, he hoped he left the, the position better than he found it, and he clearly did that. But all these things that happened to him – uh, before he passed away, you know, almost four years ago, were non-expected, you know, successes. And this would fall into that category in his mind, and it has in mind. And that my dad was, you know, it was his honor to be the voice of the Tar Heels because he went to school at Carolina. His loyalty, and I think I've told you this before, if I haven't, forgive me, his loyalty to the university is the last thing that could ever be questioned because he did those games for 40 years and not one day was he a full-time employee at the University of North Carolina. Not wow. one day in those 40 years. He worked in some business form for a rights holder or a radio station or, or something along those lines, right? So at the end of the day, my dad's loyalty to Carolina could not be questioned. So for them then to say, this person held that much esteem among our fans and he was thought of enough because of his connection to people throughout the state and nationally and through, you know, Tar Heel tours or uh, Rams club meetings, things like that. End of the day to have his name put on a building on that campus. It's, it's more than any of us ever thought would happen. And so for that reason, and that's a long answer, but for that reason and that reason alone, it was a, it was a thrilling night for our family, but especially for my mom. The ties. And my mom, who, by the way, is from Winston-Salem. So, I mean, you know, she went to Gray High, old Gray High School in Winston-Salem, and she and my dad, if you know, you've heard this before, but she and my dad met when they were both 16 at a debate camp. And <laughs> my dad said, I lost the debate that day, but I, you know, was better for it the rest of my life. And he's he was right about that for sure. Yeah, and the ties to the triad are not limited to that. Of course, no. your dad – was the voice of Wake Forest football. Yeah, for a that cat's while. gotten out of the bag. See, there's a whole new generation of people that are finding out things about my dad they never knew. Dave Odom kinda... told me he used to do Guilford football back. He did do Guilford football after, believe it or not, my dad, because, you know, here again, here's a story that, you know, people find hard to believe. My dad left ACC basketball with C.D. Chesley to go do radio at Carolina. 
Unbelievable. Well, because at the time, there wasn't a football package. And he and Jim Thacker were splitting all of the games. I mean, and even the tournament. They were splitting the tournament. And Thacker, just like the old Raycom days, I mean, when I started doing the tournament, I was splitting it with Tim Brando, right? All right, Tim, yeah, with Tim Brando, who after Tim Brandt retired, I got a chance. So Brando did the championship game. And then we split the semis and split the quarters and so forth, right? So that's kind of the way, you know, that process never really changed in the history of Raycom and Jefferson Pilot and all those good folks. So my dad never got to do the championship game. So, you know, and he was a competitive thing in this business just like I am. And he said, well, you know, North Carolina's my school. They've called. And he actually wasn't going to take the job. And here again, the, the thing with my mom, my mom said, if you don't take this job, are you going to regret it? And – you know, fast forward the clock, I'm 47 years old and I've been offered a television job. I've never done television full time. And Vicky and I are riding in a car after the offer has been made. And I looked at Vicky and I said, my dad took the Carolina job because my mom told him, if you don't take it, will you regret it? And she said, you're going to take this television job because you don't want any regrets in your career. And I said, wow. you're right. So there you go. I mean, it's, it's wild the way it happens. The symmetry in our lives is really weird with our family. But last night, again, my thanks can I, – I am indebted to the University of North Carolina, the athletic department, the Rams Club, the Board of Trustees for, you know, putting Haywoody's name on the side of a building that, as a friend of mine in Cartersville said, you know, it's like the song says, forever is a mighty long time. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> it is a long time. There's no question. It was good to see Taylor and Vicky and you last night on the call for North Carolina Pitt. West Durham with us here from Packer and Durham. Two things that have been said a lot in the last okay. 24 hours or so I don't agree with. The idea that North Carolina's tournament hopes are dead, I'm not there on that. Okay. The idea that this is on Hubert Davis as if Roy Williams' last two years in Chapel Hill were awesome, I take issue with as well. Has any of the reaction to yesterday particularly bothered you? Uh... No, because I guess I'm numb to it now. Um, look, Hubert Davis is in a period where no matter how comfortable everybody thought this was going to be, there was going to be some bumpy roads. And this is a cautionary tale to Duke fans, by the way. It's a cautionary tale to Duke fans. Because you may think everything will be just fine and uh, da-da-da-da and ride along and what have you. There's always going to be some kind of difference when the chair changes at the front. And the chair changed at the front of Carolina. Hubert can, is going to do a fine job. But there are things that have to be mapped out and things that have to be learned and kind of, if you will, retaught. And he's going through that. Look, I, I thought they would be a good team. I didn't have any vision that they would be a great team. I thought there'd be nights where it didn't go well. I thought there'd be nights where there's great success. I mean, a lot of other people put a lot of other kind of standards on them that may have been unrealistic at the time. Oh, I remember that. I remember in October, I picked them sixth, and everybody acted like nuclear war was about to happen here at the radio station. And here's the thing. When people set those unrealistic expectations, the only, what you're doing is, is doing Hubert Davis a disservice. And I felt – I was talking with Greg Barnes about this after the game last night. And he's just saying, 
the, the it's a lot easier to scapegoat the coach than just to admit that you were wrong about the expectations. When you lose a first-round draft pick in Sharp and you lose Kessler, and on top of that, you have bad breaks like Anthony Harris not returning and Dawson Garcia's uh, family issues right now where he's back at home because of his illness in the family, and even Justin McCoy being out last night, so you got to run zone to try and neutralize size when Baycott's out of the game. Right. That That is all understandable, but it's a lot more difficult to say, Maybe our expectations were way out of whack, and this team's just not as good as it was even last year. Yeah, I mean, that's that's entirely possible, and you could argue, too, that it's a carryover from two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. And some of the changes there. I mean, look, there, there's there's dips in programs. There's, you know, peaks in programs. And, and Carolina may be going through a little bit of a flat line on the way back up. I mean, look, I like what Hubert's done. I like the infrastructure he's built, but – Look now, I mean, this is a different day and age. I've talked to enough coaches, current and and past, that have said, hey, look, the young people playing these games today are wired differently. I mean, you know, there there's just – you know, there's a coach, and I'll, I'll just share a quick story with you, and I won't name the school or the coach or the player, okay? okay? Within the last three weeks, I have talked to a coach within the ACC that said, you know what, our team was playing okay but we weren't really, really successful. And player X was getting shots and knocking down shots and making plays for us, but we weren't winning games. When we won games and player X was not scoring at a certain level or you know doing the things that he thought he needed to do for us to win, but yet we were winning, player X was pouting, even though they were winning. But when they were losing and player X was getting points and shots and things like that, he seemed to be okay. Now tell me where that is, right? That's a totally different mindset than a collaborative play with an edge type thing, right? And I, I just think you got to understand that as fans, we don't know everything. Even as close as we're fortunate to be by watching practices, talking to coaches, visiting with players, we still don't know everything. So everything is a process, and the process is on a different timetable. For instance, I, I give you this one. Dave Kloss and Dave Dorn are same year right, or one year apart in terms of their tenure as head football coaches at their respective schools. Their processes and their timelines are similar in nature, but they're not exact in nature. And that's what I mean by Carolina. Last night, they – I mean, they beat Florida State every which way but up last Saturday, right? But Pittsburgh had been kind of piddling along, piddling along, piddling along, and then last Wednesday night caught fire at Tallahassee, validated Saturday with a win against State, and they came in last night. And let's just say that Carolina might not have as much verve and venom as they did on Saturday. Well, by the time Carolina was ready with the verve and venom, they were 21 down in the second half. It It's going to happen, Josh. And that's why, and to a degree, that the NCAA basketball tournament is such a wide-open thing for the first time in a long time. It is. There's... Because nobody knows what they're going to get. And that's why like, you and I are sitting there talking last night. Well, somebody's going to get beat tonight. <laughs> horror movie. And North Carolina well, I was mean, the one that got taken is it, out. Is it a horror movie? No, it's today's <laughs> basketball. It, it's it what is. it is. And, and it excites me about possibilities when we move forward. Wes Durham's hanging out with us here for Packer and Durham. On Saturday, God, we were just talking about it. A while back, you look at this lineup, you've got, and I don't want to spend the entire time talking about Carolina, but they got a big game at Virginia Tech. We know that. Sure. Virginia, Miami, 
That is a massive game. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the one in Winston-Salem, Notre Dame, Wake Forest, after the loss to Duke. Or I'll even couch it in saying after the loss to Duke, to Duke and Miami in the last two. How big are you willing to say Saturday is for the Demon Deacon? Well, here's the thing. Do you believe Wake Forest is in the NCAA tournament? I test? Yes. But when you start looking, and if you I'm look at what Lenardi says, in, sure. Scrap the guys who are doing it for their job. Okay. Okay? Scrap that. Do you think if you sat in that room right now, Wake Forest would make the tournament? They're the second best team in the league, so yes. No, they're not. Notre Dame is. I, I'd say, based on what I've seen, okay, they're the second best team in the league. Guess what? You're getting ready to find out. Because <laughs> the team who is the second best team in the standings is playing there Saturday. And that's going to be the difference. That's why the game is so big. That's why Miami-Virginia is big. You know why Miami-Virginia is big? Because Miami kicked their tail double figures two weeks ago. Same reason North Carolina-Virginia Tech's big, because Virginia Tech's won six in a row, and nobody can seem to figure out if Carolina's throwing a curveball or a split finger. Hmm. You know? And Carolina shows you fastball. It's pretty good. But every once in a while, they throw one in the dirt. And that's that's what you're going to have in this league. And that's why this thing has been as inconsistent and uncontrollable and volatile as we anticipated in some ways. I mean, I don't know why we think we're getting something we weren't going to get because we knew in the spring there were players leaving this league en masse. And, for, and they replaced here and there. Some, as we've said before, did better than others. But realistically, this is a league in not just Carolina, who we've been talking about, but this is a league in transition. And it's going to continue. And we're looking at a 22-23 thing as much as we're looking at 21-22. And I will point the 4-16 and against ranked non-conference opponents that they have this year. That is not a one-year thing that's been going on for the last two years. And again, that's not been discussed enough leading into this. Real quick on the way out. Is Alondis Williams your player of the year right now? Today he is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I look, I, I think, you know, he played did not play great first half the other night, was much better in the second half. Um, yeah, he's on my first team, uh, and he is my player of the year today. Now, I will say this, I have changed player of the year vote literally from Friday to Saturday at the end of the regular season when the vote is submitted. Is it have, close to you right now? Is Paulo the closest? Uh, yeah, he's there too. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But I'm also a guy who understands who he has playing around him. I mean, that guy 21's really good too. That AJ Griffin's special. I mean, I look. I'm not going to project guys in the NBA because his inconsistency on, bothers me, though. Well, like, I lean on my son to tell me about the NBA because I, I don't have enough time to follow it. I think I think I have this right. He had 12 points the other night. Scored them all in the first half. And then okay. he had 9 or 10 against BC, and they were all in the second half and didn't score in the first half. So when he puts it together, it's scary. It looks like a combination of Paul George and Justice Winslow. But um, mm. That's putting it together at 18 years old, it's, it just hasn't happened yet.